Um, so I, I was thinking back on uh, Jim Stafford and the fact that he had written some, several short songs um, as a tribute to short songs. And uh, one of the songs he wrote was uh, a, a prison song. You know, a lot of people in prison write songs and a lot of songs about prison. Uh, some of you, when you were in prison, probably remember those songs. Um, kidding. And uh, I don't know if you remember them or not. Maybe you don't remember that time at all in your life, but um, but I do. Anyway, um, but there's uh, th- this this song was a, a prison prison song. Get that tune right. And uh, and he wrote this song really to to emphasize the power of short songs. And um, so I thought I'd play it for you. And this song's called. I'm getting out of prison today. Anybody you remember that one at all? When you were in prison? Hank remembers it when he was in prison. It's good, Hank. It's good days, wasn't it? Good times. So, uh, <laughs> the tribute to short songs, okay, called I'm getting out of prison today. Robbie, just hum along when you get the words. Ready? Okay. That's it right there. I'm getting out of prison today. Because he's sawing through the, never mind. Y'all don't care. <laughs> Tribute to short songs right there, just for you. Y'all don't even remember that. He does sing a song about his truck right after that. It's a short, short song about his truck, but I won't play that for you. But I want you to turn to Psalm 117, and I want us today, as we come into our communion service, we're celebrating um, the Lord's table today and the work that He's done Psalm 117 sets that up so perfectly. And, and if, you had to, if you had to write a song that was really two verses long, two whole verses now, that kind of encapsulated everything about God and us in one song, it encapsulates all of who God is and what He was created to, for what, what he created us to do and what he did for us is all encapsulated in these two simple verses. And uh, it just reads this way. You got your Psalms open by now. It says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Praise him, all, exalt him. One translation says, Exalt him, all you people, for his mercy and loving kindness. Now, this translation is the Amplified Bible you see on the screen here. For his mercy and loving kindness, that's really the Hebrew words there, are great toward us. And the truth and faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can we just read that together off the screen? It's a really good translation of it. It's almost a literal translation of the Hebrew word. So let's just read it together in honor of the word. Ready? Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people. For his mercy and loving kindnesses are great toward us, and the truth and faithfulness of the Lord endure forever. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. So it's the shortest psalm. A lot of people uh, believe it celebrates Israel's redemption from Babylon after they've been captured, literally nearly annihilated, um, and God restored a remnant of them back to him. There is this moment where they sing this song that says, uh, we celebrate our redemption. And so if it looks back, if Israel's looking back at this redemptive moment, for us, the redemption comes at the cross. And so it's a good parallel for us to know that 
that uh, this strong song with lots of the short song with lots of truth and lots of theology um, is, is a grand song about the redemption that God has for all His people, and it begins with a, a universal call. A universal call. It's to all nations, the Israelis, God's chosen people, the Hebrews, are called to praise Him. But also, listen to this now, think about this. All nations are called, in this verse, all nations, every single nation is called to praise Him. Um, they're, they're, they're called to praise Him. By the way, there's handouts on the front row. Did we pass those out yet? Justin, you got those? We already did that? You're good, thank you. Um, but all nations are called to, to praise Him. So, and the Hebrew word means without any exception. There's a way to say all and mean, you know, whoever wants to. It's like, uh, hey, all of you that want to stand and sing, you'll stand and sing. Some of you want to sit and sing, so that's fine. But we don't mean that you, without exception, have to stand up, right? There's a way to say things where you kind of generally say all. This is not that Hebrew word. This is the Hebrew word where the psalmist is saying, look, without exception, every single nation, the smallest little people group you can think of on some remote island somewhere, the smallest little people group and the largest nations all together need to do what this universal call is, which is to praise the Lord. And uh, and so why should the Gentile nations, why should nations that aren't chosen by God praise Him? Well, he's going to explain that because He's provided salvation even to us. Eternal salvation is possible even for those not born as Jews. Now, there's not very many Jewish people here that I know of today, right? So here we are, a bunch of Gentiles, reading a song that David, or that was written in the Old Testament uh, by God, inspired to the songwriter to say, I want all the Gentiles, all the Gentile nations, to praise me. And that's what we did this morning. We sang those songs, Holy is the Lord, um, Worthy is the Lamb. When we sang those songs today, we were doing exactly what this song says. We were obeying uh, this very song. Um, and so... Um, John 3.16 makes it real simple. For God so loved the world, the world, not just His people, but the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever, Jew or Gentile, no matter what nation or tribe or kingdom you come from, no matter where you live on this planet, whosoever will, um, whosoever believes in Him, should not perish but have everlasting life. The, the love of God is available to all nations. A lot of people think that God was unfair in the Old Testament, and they, they believe that His love is limited. When you read the Scriptures clearly, His love has no limits and no bounds at all. Um, so to, to the Gentiles, we praise Him simply because He made His salvation available to us. He made it possible for us to be saved. To the Jews, they can praise Him for uh, being the chosen people and Jesus Christ, who is born of a, of a Jewish woman, who is Jewish himself, Jesus Christ is a light unto all the world, and the glory of all of Israel um, shines from, or the glory of all of God shines from Israel. So Israel has reason to praise um, because of their position with God, but the, the writer's saying everybody, everybody should praise. Psalm 98, verse 1, says it this way, Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. God revealed His righteousness to the nations. I want you to think for a minute about how you came to know about God. How did somebody, how did you hear, just think for a minute, how did I first hear about the revelation of God? Maybe your parents raised you in church and you were told as, as children the stories of God and Christ dying on the cross for you. Maybe it was when you were in Sunday school. Maybe, like me, I was in an elementary Christian school um, where my teacher would tell me everyday Bible stories and then a chapel service happened that it, uh, caused me to want to surrender to Christ. That wasn't an accident, by the way. That was God doing exactly what it says in this psalm. He was revealing Himself to a Gentile, to me. He was revealing Himself to me. He revealed Himself to you at some point in your life. You're, by the way, nobody here, especially me, but nobody here is smart enough to figure God out and go, hey, I want to understand God, so I'll just start studying God now, and then I'll understand. No, that's not how that works. God goes, hey, let me explain me to you. Let me open your mind up and reveal your... Ephesians 2 says, um, you hath he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. Our sins caused us to be brain dead. We were dead. And God had to reveal himself to you. So it's a magnificently beautiful truth that's right here in the scriptures that says, uh, I'm reading from Psalm 98 again, it says, uh, the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel, so the nations and Israel are included. Listen to this. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the ends of the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Jubilant song with music. So people that think heaven's going to be boring, by the way, heaven's going to be so far from boring, it's going to be like unbelievably Exciting, jubilant songs of joy all the time, bursting forth to worship Him. Now, here's another truth I want you to just grasp a hold of here. This is a unifying truth. When when you read Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all nations, what is it that brings all nations together? What is it that's supposed to bring uh, nations that are at war with each other? The Middle East is just a mess today. Uh, Brother Warren prayed it in our prayer time this morning in my office. Um, the Middle East is a mess. What's going to bring all those nations together? Some great leader going to have some peace talk that makes them all, hey, just put down your guns and stop shooting each other and stop throwing bombs at each other. And, you know, try, let's all try to get along now. Is that it? No, it's the message of salvation, which includes the fact that we're sinners that need to be saved. We sang it just as I am. I come needy. I come desperate, desperate to God. That's what brings all nations together is when we surrender ourselves before God. And one day, the Bible says, one day, every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. So every nation on this planet one day is going to be unified around Christ. Every nation. So here's the unifying truth. Here's the unifying truth that bonds all nations together. It's that that God sent His Son to die for us, and we are to praise Him. The one thing we can all do together as nations is praise Him. Now, obviously, the enemy, Satan, has deceived many people, many nations, many countries, and the gospel of the grace of God is not uh, permeated into them, and pe- people are deceived, and they believe all kinds of false teachings and false things. But But the truth is, the truth is, God 
wants all nations to come to one conclusion, that He is a God who loves them, who sent His Son to die for them, and that we are to praise Him, literally exalt Him because of that. Um, so, and by the way, this, this word praise um, that's used here, um, it, it has a connotation of I'm, I'm offering flattering speech to you because you're angry with me. It has that connotation. I studied the Hebrew word, and it was fascinating to me because I was like, wow, um, sounds like God may be mad. <laughs> and, uh, but the connotation of the word, the, the original core word, is when, when, an, when an angry official, when a, when a judge or a ruler is upset with you, you come to them and you honor them. You say, oh, we worship, we, we bow before you are the greatest leader ever, and hopefully they'll be kind and merciful to you. That's the connotation of this word, except... It also has a way of being interpreted um, that comes out of the context of what follows it. So what follows it is this. <laughs> Listen to Psalm 117. Um, For His loving kindness is great toward us. So we aren't to bow before God because He's angry and give Him flattering praise. We're to speak truth of praise to Him. We can literally bow before God and speak this truth to Him that says, you love me and show great mercy to me and I don't deserve that. See, that's that's the truth. That's not flattery speech. It's not like trying to make something up. It's speaking straight truth about what God's done for you. That's the kind of praise that's supposed to be offered up. And uh, Romans 15, the Apostle Paul uses quotes this this psalm, by the way, and uh, he sa- he uses it as a tie from Gentiles and Jews, from both na- all nations becoming one. He says, Romans fifteen seven, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. We need to all get along. It's what he's telling the Romans. By the way, the Roman church was filled with Jews and Gentiles who had not got along before, but they were centered now around the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, and they were beginning to be unified. And Paul writes to them all through the book of Romans, the work of Christ, that He died on the cross to save you from your sins, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, um, that Christ paid for that. When He writes that information to them, He wants them now to live together. So He says, accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promise made to the patriarchs. Christ became a servant of the Jews to confirm the promise. Verse 9. So that the Gentiles may glorify God for His mercy as it is written. And then he quotes, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with the people. And again it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praise to him, all you peoples. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, agreeing with the psalmist thousands of years before him, um, says we have a reason to unify people groups. And it's around the work that Christ did for us. What's the reason we should praise him? There's a very important reason. It's the same reason given by the psalmist and Paul and all through the scriptures. It's that Christ had, God has an unrelenting compassion for us. There's a universal call for us to praise Him over His unrelenting compassion. And I want you to register that in your head. I'd like you to think through those words. I work very hard on thinking through what that means. His unrelenting 
compassion. It says in the text, literally, His merciful kindness. Now I want to tell you that the Hebrew language is written, it's an emotional language, it's written with lots of emotion. It's not a specific language like Latin or like the Old Testament, or the New Testament is written in what's called Koine Greek. Um, and uh, it's a very specific language. Um, the Hebrew language is very emotional, and it's it's kind of a broad... When they use words, it can have multiple meanings, and it always has some sort of emotional energy behind it. And they have this word called loving kindness in the Hebrew. We translate it all the time in the King James especially, loving kindness. It's such a strong word, we can't just put the word love there or the word kindness there. Um, we have to We have to combine them to say the most powerful things that happen... Uh, between people who love each other, love and kindness need to go together to make this word. In the English, we, some, some old, some newer translations now use the word grace right here because it's such a strong word that says his grace, his grace, his, everything about him that says you don't deserve this, but I'm going to show you this enormous amount of love. Now, what's interesting in this little short psalm is that the writer actually says his merciful loving Kindness. He actually throws an adverb in there to say, let me explain to you that it's not just loving kindness, it's merciful loving kindness. You can't get any sweeter in the language than this little short song. He says, and it's, it's an unrelenting compassion that God has for us. Um, one, one, uh, the Geneva Bible, one of the oldest Bibles in the, in the, um, in history that we have, um, with us, the Geneva Bible actually says in a footnote here, this is the most certain and continual testimony of God, God the Father's graces toward us as man. So this type of praise is very important. It's speaking truth to God. And there's two dominant attributes, two dominant attributes of God that you can share with everybody you know. You can tell everybody you know these two attributes. Okay? Um, they're right here in the text. It's a tiny little song that's just filled with theology and truth. We, we need to, all the nations can unite around praising God for His merciful kindness. And the first one is, He is mercifully kind. He is mercifully kind, but don't miss this, toward us. Man, that is so rich. Just think about what that means. God is mercifully kind toward us. I've told you many times, I think this generation, the, the, the generation that's behind me, Justin's generation and Cody and Emily and all you guys, that generation has given God a, or believed a terrible lie about God. And he gets a terrible rap. Everybody thinks God's some horrible, cruel judge that's just allowing bad things to happen all the time. You read the scriptures, it's exactly the opposite. The shortest song in the Bible about God says, His merciful kindness is toward us. It's toward us. He's portrayed as a God just waiting to destroy or judge sinners, but the truth is He's a patient and a loving God. Now, I want you to think of this. Every sin, think of your own personal life. Now, I want you to get very personal and take communion in a few minutes, so it'll be a good job to get personal with God. Every single sin that's committed in your life is worthy of death. Every one. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is one sin equals death. One. Just one. Every sin you've sinned this week is worthy of death. For, for mo- many of us, we should have died a thousand deaths this last week. A thousand deaths. Every sin you sin is worthy 
of death. You get that? Now think about this. When you fuss at somebody for inconveniencing you in your Black Friday lines or wherever you were on Black Friday, when you fuss at somebody at your house for inconveniencing you, the wage of that one sin, that one sin when you fuss at them, is death. The wage of that one sin. Eternal separation from God. When you lust after a person or an object, when you want something more than you want God, when you replace something in your life, your love for something over God, the wage for that sin is eternal death and damnation, separation from God. When you think bad thoughts about somebody, when you think hateful, judgmental thoughts, you are worthy of death. When you plan your life, your plans for your life, even your weekend, without including God, when you disregard God's place in your life, the wage for that sin is death. It's death. But since all of you are sitting here today, and I'm standing here, nobody died right here. In this little group, none of us died. You know why? Because His merciful, loving kindness is toward us, even though we sin against Him. So I don't know how you give God a bad rap when, that, when all that's just flat-out truth. None of us died because His merciful kindness God is holy and just. He has standards that are high. He is powerful. And as a final judge, one day He will rule the world to separate people who reject Him from people who follow Him. One day He will have a judgment on mankind that for all time, people who reject Him and live in sin willfully will be separated from Him. But up until that point, He's calling and pleading and begging people to come to Him and accept His merciful kindness. If you're living in sin today, He's calling you through this real simple short song, real simple, real short song, to know He loves you. His merciful kindness and His love is for you. Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. Romans 5 Apostle Paul, one more time in, in the book of Romans, is writing these words, and he says, Romans 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. When sin reigned, grace reigned more. Where sin covered the boundaries, grace exceeded beyond that. Romans 5, I love this verse. Romans 5, verse 6. You see it at just the right time when we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God, look at this, demonstrated, that word means literally stood beside, demonstrated His own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, how can we not be filled with praise and thanksgiving? Christ died for us. The psalmist says, praise the Lord, all nations. His loving, merciful, loving kindness 
and this is the important part, is toward us. He doesn't just have loving, merciful kindness in general. It's toward us. It's very specific. It's a very specific loving, merciful kindness. He demonstrated his love for us. The second truth that comes out of this that you can share with everybody, the first one is that he is mercifully kind toward all of us. The second is that he is truthful and trustworthy and faithful to his word. You know that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. He makes lots of promises and he keeps every single one of them. I wish I could keep that kind of record in my life, but I make promises that I can't keep. I make commitments sometimes and on my honeydew list at the house of things I'm going to take care of and I just get behind them and I, I don't keep them. I can't figure out how to do some of it. I make promises, but I don't keep those promises. That's not God. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. There's not one promise that he's ever made that he hasn't kept. In the Garden of Gethsemane, after Adam and Eve sinned, think about this, after they sinned, he promised to send a seed of this woman that would redeem all mankind from their sins. In the Garden of Gethsemane. And he kept that promise. He promised it all the way through the nation of Israel. He promised to redeem and and protect them and help them. And even when they sinned against Him, He did exactly that. Jesus, His only Son, came in fulfillment of all those promises to Adam, to Abraham, to Moses, to David and all His people. Jesus came as a fulfillment of that. I want you to hear Romans 3, English Standard Version. It says, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? What does it matter if you're a Jew... God's chosen versus not a Jew. Much in every way. To begin with, Paul, Paul telling the Jews, hey, you guys are valuable. Begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. God came to reveal himself through you. That's how he used you to, to reveal himself. So you're valuable. What if some of the Jews were unfaithful? Listen to this. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? In other words, when the Jewish people that God chose disobeyed God all through the Old Testament, by the way. Lots of stories there. When they disobeyed God and disobeyed God and disobeyed God, rebelled and rebelled and rebelled, does, that, does God go, you know what, because y'all are unfaithful, I don't have to be faithful. Now I'm telling you, every married couple thinks like that when they go through those times of unfaithfulness. I've worked with lots of couples where there's an unfaithful spouse, and then goes, well, hey, if you're going to be unfaithful, I'm going to be unfaithful. That's, that's natural thinking. That is not God thinking, though. Because the psalmist, or the writer of Romans, Apostle Paul says, by no means. God doesn't think like that. Let God be true, though everybody else is a liar. If everybody lies, God never lies. He is truthful and trustworthy. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Anybody that stands in judgment of God will go, you know what? He kept every one of his words. He never lied. He never lied. It says it in the same thing in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, so, so when God, verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose. Think about that. When God wanted to show those of us that would receive His gift, His unchangeable character and His purposes, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible, which is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Remember we talked about the importance of our soul. The anchor of our soul is the promise God made 
By the way, he made an oath to himself to love us. When Abraham, in the Old Testament, when God made an oath to Abraham and a promise to Abraham, he literally put Abraham to sleep and, and there was a way they would, they would, uh, sacrifice all these animals and cut them in half and you would make a promise to each other when you made a covenant with each other. You, the two people that, that sacrificed the animals together, um, would walk in between the two halves and holding hands a lot of times and they would make the promise as they walked through. Well, in the, in the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament, when God promised to protect and love Israel as his own, he put Abraham to sleep and he walked through by himself. Because he was the one making the promise. He's like, I don't depend on you. My faithfulness is solid. And I don't need somebody that may be unfaithful to walk the journey with me. His promises are true and sure and steadfast. They're the anchor of our soul. God is truthful and trustworthy and faithful to his word. He kept every promise he has ever made. We sit here today, by the way. A room full of Gentiles. A room full of Gentiles. Um, because he kept his promises. We're beneficiaries of his merciful kindness because he kept his promise and his word. His word will always endure. So we have a lot to be thankful for today. The ease of living that we live in in America. I know it seems hard for us because we get caught up in the rat race called the American culture. But if you've ever visited and just seen the pictures we've shared here from the mission field, we have a lot to be thankful for. The ease of living that we live here. The fact you have drinking water available to you. Lots of places we visited, they don't have fresh drinking water at all. They can't get water that's not horribly contaminated. And so they just constantly are drinking contamination in. Um, the fact that we have comfortable homes. The fact that we have nice place. The freedom to worship in this place. Not a freedom that happens in some countries. Um, the accessibility to God's Word. Everybody here has the availability of God's Word. Thousands of Christian books available to you. And all kinds of uh, opportunities to read God's Word. To sing God's songs. The fact that you have your friends around you and your family. We have a lot to be thankful for. But, but the most important thing that we should be thankful for. Think about this. His merciful, loving kindness is toward us. It's toward me. It's toward you. His loving, merciful kindness is toward you. And so I want us to take communion with that mindset today. Caleb's going to uh, play some music behind me softly. And, and uh, we're going to do communion um, today. We're going to let you come to the altar um, when you're ready. And, and there's uh, probably just take one or two rounds to get everybody here. Um, Brother Al and uh, Brother Justin are going to come forward and help serve. Um, they're going to stand here and hold the elements for you. Um, and I'm going to ask them to come and go ahead and take communion for themselves now, if you'll take your own and kneel. And But the Bible says we should not take communion unworthily. Um, so I want you to prepare your hearts now. Um, actually says if you take it unworthily, you'll be sick. Well, I'm already a little bit sick, so I'm not going that way. I'm going to confess my sins before I take this, right? Um, I don't want to be any sicker than I am. Um, so I want God to heal this, not not make it worse. But let's do this. Would you bow your heads with me? If you have known sin in your life, if you don't have known sin, you're not thinking. <laughs> if you have known sin in your life, just confess it to God right now. Just pray a 